11, our young people, 6th grade and down, are being dismissed for Children's Church. Well, we are turning to the first a book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 11. <clears throat> Can we sing uh, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus a cappella, verse number 1? Uh, if you know it, jump in with me, okay? Oh, soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior. And life more abundant and free. I got it too low. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory. That's what I want us to do this morning, to turn our eyes and look at Jesus. Matthew chapter 11 and verse number 28, the Lord Jesus Christ, his own words, says to those that were under the burden of legalism, the burden of guilt of sin, he says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I want to preach a message this morning with the simple title, Come Unto Me. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. I thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ, that we can't focus on him too much, and that he is the way to you. And that he, as we sang in one of the songs today, he is the one who is the Christ of Calvary. Through the finished work that he accomplished there and dying as our sin-bearing substitute, uh, no matter what burden we have, every burden can be lifted at Calvary. And I thank you for this classic, this tremendous passage of Scripture. I ask you that, uh, though it's familiar to many of us, I pray that you would uh, give us a, a fresh breath, a fresh perspective of it this morning, and encourage our hearts by it, and I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Rest is the longing of every human heart. One man centuries ago uh, said that he longed and hoped that our souls would not be at rest until they found their rest in the Lord. And the bottom line is this, folks, is if any of us are going to have ultimate lasting rest, that rest is not in a place, that rest is in a person. And the person is the Lord Jesus Christ. And how easily we, and I say we on purpose, how easily we expect rest or seek to find our security in all kinds of things that were never intended to be a place of security or rest. On Monday, Judson said, Dad, there's a bird building a nest in the grill of the Suburban. I didn't think anything about it. 
and yet the bird stayed persistent. Wednesday morning, Grace uh, needed me to, I needed to get gas in the Suburban. She was going to drive to Cleveland County to see a friend. And so I got up early Wednesday morning, drove the Suburban to Landrum the back way uh, to fill it up with gas, and I brought the highway home. And when I got that Suburban up to highway speed, the front of that Suburban sounded like a wild turkey taking off. All of the flapping and the racket, and I got home and walked around, and a bird had built an entire nest. She had built her entire nest. It was finished, and it had a top on it and everything, moss and leaves and twigs, all right in front of the radiator. And I knew that we had to, we, we couldn't continue in that way, so I told Judson, help me get this out. Well, there was no way to get down in there. We literally had to, long story short, we literally had to remove the entire grill which was attached to the front bumper of the Suburban. The grill, the Suburban, uh, the, the, the grill, the bumper of the Suburban, it all had to come off so that we could just barely get our hand down in there. And I removed, I kid you not, I removed a gallon of junk, okay, moss and twigs and leaves While I was doing it, the Spirit of God was doing a work on my heart. How often, like that bird, we put our security in things that move. We put our security in things that can be shaken. We put our security in things that in the long term will be more dangerous for us than a help. We put our security in government, some folks. We put our security in finances. We put our security in relationships. We put our security in our identity, how other people view us. As long as everybody thinks well of us, we're good. And we kind of live in this fictitious personality of a false identity. We do live in the world of Facebook identity, don't we? And yet all of those things are so faulty and so frail. And I was reminded, even as I was digging my hand down in there, dismantling that place of rest for that bird, I was at first thinking, stupid bird, stupid bird. And the Spirit of God was working in my heart about my own tendency to put my security in things that move. Our human tendency And how the Father in love will often dismantle those false securities so that we will turn to Christ because he is the only one that can give rest of soul. Rest is in a person. And rest comes when we pursue that person. Now let me just say, any pursuit of Christ that we make, that was not what initiated the relationship. His pursuit of you and me is what initiates the relationship. That plan set in motion 6,000 years ago when our father and mother, first father and mother Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and plunged this earth into the curse of sin And yet, even then, God promised that a Redeemer would come. And thus began the greatest love story of all. So Jesus came 2,000 years ago as the Redeemer, 
The one that offered redemption, the one that offered, as he says in this passage, rest of soul. And for 2,000 years now, his words ring true, they ring relevant, even after he said them the first time, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. As I think about these words of Christ, I think first of all of this word, he is approachable. Have you ever been around uh, someone or known of someone who wasn't approachable? When I think about Jesus, Jesus is approachable. Come unto me. As you look at his life on earth when he was here for those 33 and a half years, 2,000 years ago. As you look at his life on earth, you see account after account of all kinds of different people with all kinds of different baggage and all kinds of different burdens and all kinds of different backgrounds and all of them could find an audience with Jesus Christ. I think about a blind man in the city of Jericho screaming out at the top of his lungs, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me and the crowd shushing him. And yet he kept crying and Jesus stopped the whole procession and bid the blind Bartimaeus come to him. I think about Jesus coming down off the Mount of Transfiguration and a father, broken-hearted father, desperate father, had brought his demon-possessed son to Jesus' disciples at the foot of the mountain. And he told Jesus, when Jesus showed up on the scene, he said, I brought my son to your disciples and they couldn't heal him. Jesus was grieved over that because of the faithlessness of the disciples. This kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting. But Jesus said this, bring him thither to me. And he healed him. I think about the spiritual disciples of Jesus when great crowds would come around rebuking the parents and the small children as if Jesus were too busy for children. They might scuff the floor. They might spill in the fellowship hall. They might leave fingerprints on the glass doors. I want to tell you something. Every time I walk in this building and I see fingerprints on those glass doors, I thank God. Plenty of churches would love to have little ones there. But let me just go further and say this. Jesus loves the little children. And here were the stiff shirt disciples. The kids are a nuisance. Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, if you want to get into heaven, you've got to have faith like a little child. I think about, too, a Pharisee, self-righteous, self-important man who came to Jesus. His name was Nicodemus. He was so worried about his reputation at the first that he came to Jesus at what time of day? Do you know what I love about Jesus? Jesus didn't look at him and say, chicken. He took... A man who was more concerned about his reputation at the first than he should have been. And Jesus said, come to me. I think about a woman who went to a well in a place called Samaria or Sychar. There are those that speculate that the reason she went at midday is because she was looking for a man 
Boy, she found one, all right. (laughs) She found the man, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he changed everything. Jesus wasn't so concerned about the scruples, if you would, that he refused a conversation with this woman. Instead, he began to talk to her about spiritual thirst. Jesus is approachable. But I notice not only that he's approachable, but I notice, number two, his ability. Jesus says, come unto me. What's the next word? That's a big word. All. Whatever the background is, in this context, Jesus has just finished uh, confronting cities that had had a lot of light from his ministry and had rejected it. But in the same context, he's also dealing with the legalism of the Judaistic system of the day where the Jews taught that you had to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. And by the way, it took Jesus' churches, his New Testament churches, a little while to work that one through themselves. Even in Acts chapter number 15, you find Peter saying at a council, listen, these Jewish believers, they're putting upon these Gentile believers this yoke, which we or our fathers were not able to bear, that you had to, the idea that you had to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. The purpose of the law of Moses was never to save. The purpose of the law of Moses was to show we needed saved. And so Jesus addresses those who are laboring and heavy laden, whatever the burden, whatever the the guilt of sin, the background may be. And we could put all kinds of application in here. It might even be a financial burden. It might be a health burden that someone is laboring under. It might be a sanctification burden, a person thinking that there's just more and more and more and more. They got to keep doing, doing, doing. It all depends on them. Let me tell you something. I don't care what the burden is. Jesus has the ability to lift it. Bring it to him. He's approachable. He has omnipotent ability. But I notice another thought here, and that is this. If we're going to come and bring our burden to him and find rest, we have to trust his analysis of where we need help. And it might be different for any of us. There are some common burdens that all of us share before a person trusts Christ as Savior. There's the burden of the condemnation of their sin. As believers, there are burdens that we bear, each of us, that we carry. But I want you to understand this morning, we need to trust the Lord's analysis. I'm not going to linger long on this point, but he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. He knows what your burden is, even if you don't fully realize what it is. Say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? I mean, there may be people who think that they're working their way to heaven and they're just fine. It doesn't matter how you feel or what your analysis is. What is Jesus' analysis? What is Jesus' conclusion? And if we're going to find rest in Him, we have to trust His analysis when it comes to where we're laboring and how heavy laden we are. And then notice this great assurance. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. I'll give you rest. 
He's not talking about ceasing completely from doing anything from the Lord. There are those that have, or for the Lord, there are those that have gone to the opposite extreme and say, you know, once you give your burden to the Lord, there's no more labor. It's almost like a Christian entitlement. That's not what Jesus is talking about because in just a few moments, he's going to mention his yoke and his burden. But the assurance that he gives, I will give you rest, refreshment if you would. And then verse number 29 is what I call his alternative. So we see his approachability, his ability, his analysis, the assurance that he gives. I will give you rest. And notice if you move down to the end of verse number 29, and ye shall find rest unto your, what's the word? Souls. Not an external rest, but an internal rest, a rest of soul. What is the alternative that Jesus offers? In contrast to the legalistic system of man-made religion and works, Jesus gives this alternative that he calls his yoke, learning of him. He says in verse 29, take my yoke upon you. In the day that Jesus said this, the yoke that a man would mention in a situation like this was talking about submission to his teaching. A rabbi would picture his teaching as a yoke and a student or a disciple of his, a follower of his, would take up the yoke of his master and that is he would determine to live in submission to the teaching of his master. So what is Jesus' alternative in contrast to the religious system of first century Judaism that had become so works-based and self-centered and self-focused and look what I'm doing. You remember the Pharisee of Luke chapter number 18 standing in the temple praying thus with himself, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this lowly publican over here. His sense of self-worth was all based in who he was as a man. And he failed to realize how desperately he needed the Lord. That any good that was in him was because of the Lord, not because of his own righteousness or his own works. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes at all of all that I possess. And I'm definitely not like this guy over here. Let me just tell you, if your sense of self-worth and righteousness is based on comparison to another pe- person, you're in big trouble. But Jesus says, take my yoke, live in submission to my teaching, and learn of me. Take my yoke upon you. What is it that Christ teaches? I think about John chapter 15 and verse number 5. Without him, we can do nothing. What is the yoke? Well, he gives a new commandment in John 13 that we love one another and by our love for one another, the whole world will know that we are his disciples, followers of Christ. Further on in John 13, he lays aside his own garments, girds himself with a towel and washes the disciples' feet. He performs a lowly act of service and he said, I've given you an example in doing this. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 21, the Bible tells us, Peter tells us that as Christ suffered, he was leaving us an example for how we should suffer. 
Philippians chapter 2, the Lord Jesus Christ set aside his own reputation and who he was, if you would, uh, in the eyes of man. He set aside his own reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Humble service, love for one another. How to suffer. You know, when I thought about the burdens that sometimes Christ asks us to bear. And I want you to just think about this. I think sometimes when we think about a burden being lifted and rest being found, it means no more trouble. No more suffering, no more trial. That's the way I like to think about it. Anybody else like to think about it that way? Yeah, let's just, it's all ease and comfort, right? No trouble. We think about a burden that you and I may have. You know, it may, I've got a burden. I want to know the Lord better. I want to know Christ at a level I've never known him before. And that's what I'm aiming towards in my own heart as I think about this upcoming revival meeting that we're having with Brother Pauly. I want God to do a work in my life. You know, sometimes we have it in our mind, well, that's going to mean a mountaintop experience, right? If I'm going to know God better, that means we're all going to go up on the mountaintop. Boy, it's just going to be great. Let me just tell you something. Sometimes the way we get to know Christ better is through the pathway of suffering. Paul said that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his being made conformable unto his death. Ask Jacob in the Old Testament, how'd you get to know God better? I had to wrestle with him at Peniel. And I'm walking with a hip, the, uh, limp the rest of my life, a scar, a mark, but he had seen God face to face. A person might say, I want an opportunity to just proclaim the Lord like never before. And that may not be on a platform, it may be on a sickbed. Lord, I want to know you better. And it may be that in order for dross to be purged out of our lives so that we can with clearer eyes see him and know him better, that suffering is the tool that God uses. The yoke that he gives to us. But mark it down, whatever his yoke is in your life, his burden is Aren't you glad for promises like Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 13? I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Now, I know that football players put that on their eye paint. That's not what Paul was talking about. I can do all things through Christ. I can throw a Hail Mary and score a touchdown and win the Super Bowl. I'm 90, no, I'm 110% sure Paul didn't mean that. In fact, in the context, Paul was talking about times of suffering and doing out, doing without. And he's the same as saying, in those times, the times of difficulty and the suffering, the times of good, the times of bad, whatever it may be, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I'm going to bring this to a good conclusion for us here in just a moment as it relates to the help of Christ. So the burden that Christ puts upon us, His yoke, and what it is that He wants us to learn of Him in following Him, it may not always be easy from the human perspective. It may be suffering. It may be difficulty. Living for God in this old world is not easy. 
in the human sense. There are times of trial. Oh, but we have the alternative of taking Christ's yoke upon us and learning of Him and knowing that He is with us. I think about Romans chapter number 7 when Paul was talking about his own battle with his own flesh, his own sin nature. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? You ever been there in a battle with sin? What does Paul say? I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. That's where the victory comes from. 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 58. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, uh, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's in the yoke with Jesus. His alternative, if you would. I think about Psalm 23 and verse number 4. The burden the yoke of going through the valley of the shadow of death. And yet, to be able to say, I can go through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil, for thou art with me. What if, in answer to the burden of being a greater testimony for the Lord, what if, in answer to the burden of finding out the Lord, And knowing Him better, what if the answer is suffering? What if the answer is the valley of the shadow of death? Isn't it wonderful we have the assurance the Lord walks with us? That He can use even the tool of suffering. But I want you to notice this. I see not only that He's approachable in His ability, and it's His analysis of what we need that is accurate. He gives us this wonderful assurance that we will find rest for our souls in Him. He shares the alternative yoke or burden when we follow His will and labor together with Him and His cause and His will. But I want you to notice next His affection. Verse number 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am what? Meek and lowly of heart. He's gentle. It's the idea of kind, good, forbearing. And he's lowly in heart. It speaks of his humility. And since it's referencing what's in his heart, it's talking about the center of who he is by nature. He doesn't just act out humility. He is the model of humility and lowliness. He says, I am meek and lowly. In heart. That encourages me on one hand, and on the other hand, it convicts me. He's meek, he's gentle, he's patient in how he leads us forward. He doesn't drive on, but he leads in gentleness and lowliness. And so his affection, it's his attitude. I notice also what we could refer to as his assistance. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I did some studying and reading on this. Those first century, the first century yoke that Jesus is referring here to was always a tandem yoke. It was never a single yoke. It was always tandem. It was always made for two animals, two oxen, two donkey, two horses. In other words, you never wore the yoke alone. 
So when Jesus twice refers to his yoke, take my yoke upon you, in verse number 30, for my yoke is easy. He's essentially saying this, I'm in the other side of the yoke. And he gives us this tremendous assistance. I'm telling you, folks, when you're in the yoke with omnipotence, you can do whatever needs to get done for the cause of Christ. You can get done whatever is His will to be done. I was thinking about a conversation that uh, Doug and I and Grace and Millie had recently. And Doug was telling about how several years ago when they lived out in California, they needed to do some work on their septic system. And uh, he found a friend who was a state trooper, California state trooper, uh, but who on the side had a small tractor with a, a small backhoe on it. And so he hired this guy to come try and dig. And the, where they were, the soil was very, very hard, a hard clay on the surface. And he said after this guy had scratched on the surface for an hour or so, they had made hardly any ground. And Doug said, stop, stop. He went down the road to a rental store and rented a full-size backhoe. And drove that backhoe down the road. They were able to get it in the backyard. And in a few hours, were able to do all the digging that needed to be done. Didn't mean that Doug was any stronger physically himself than his friend. But it meant that he had tapped into a greater power. And the importance of our understanding... That when we access the power of Christ and recognize I'm in the yoke with him, his yoke. Because of his omnipotence, it doesn't matter, get this, whatever the burden is that he decides to place on me. Whatever the trial may be, he's in the yoke with me. And I have access to his omnipotence. And the one on the other side of the yoke, the one that's chosen this yoke, the one that's chosen this burden, if you would, the one that's put it on me, he is gentle and lowly in his heart. And he's promised already, he's promised rest on the other side. So the assistance that he gives. Final thought, and then we conclude. And that is this, verse 30. He said, you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word easy that is used here in the text is the same word that is used in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 32. And be ye kind one to another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another. It's the same word that is used in Romans chapter number 2, when the Apostle Paul said that it is the goodness of God that leads to repentance. So Jesus said, my yoke, the yoke that I have formed and shaped. By the way, that's another idea of this word. This was interesting to me. When a farmer needed a yoke made for a team of oxen, he would get a rough piece of wood take it to a carpenter along with the oxen that were going to be wearing that yoke. And the carpenter would, through meticulous attention to detail and shaping and shaving and chiseling, he would custom shape 
each side of that yoke to the particular shoulders and shape of the neck of the oxen that would be wearing it. I want you to get this. There is no yoke that Jesus, with his gentle and lowly heart, no burden that he will ever allow in your life and mine, but that it has not been custom-fitted. That we, together with him and his omnipotent power, will be able to move forward. His yoke is easy. It's kind. Another place, the word is gracious. The thought here is this, is he is well aware of what you and I can handle. That's his heart. He's well aware. And then he says this, my burden is light. There are two words in the New Testament that are translated burden. Uh, Paul uses both of them in Galatians. Look with me, if you would, at Galatians chapter 6. Keep your hand in Matthew 11. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Notice verse number 2. Bear ye one another's what? Burdens. Okay. That's where Paul uses one of the words. It talks about a burden that is bigger than one individual themselves can carry. Okay. It's a burden that takes brothers helping me carry that burden. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill. Here's the law of Christ, what we learn of him, what he teaches us. In love, fulfilling his commandment of serving one another, he wants us to recognize there are some burdens that are bigger for an individual, that are too big for an individual to bear, and they need the help of brothers. Notice, though, if you would, drop down to verse number 5. For every man shall bear his own burden. It's an entirely different word. It's a word that we might use to refer to a backpack, a personal burden, if you would, that's big enough for me to bear. What Paul is saying is when it's a burden that's too big for an individual, individual to bear, get in there and help them. But then on the other hand... When it's a burden that is yours to be bearing, then bear it. Don't trust other people or presume upon other people to carry a burden that's yours to carry. It's like a backpack. But here's the point. As we come back to Matthew chapter number 11 and verse number 30, Jesus said, my burden is light. And that is this. Each of us has a burden to bear as we follow Christ. But the point is this, is that he's never going to put anything in our backpack that we, with his help, cannot carry. And so the focus, do you notice how many times the pronoun me or my was used? I want to read it one more time and then I'll conclude. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls for my yoke is easy, Jesus said, and my burden is light. He's approachable. He has omnipotent ability. We need to trust his analysis of our burden bearing. What a wonderful assurance that we have of not just rest, but rest of soul, rest that filters to the whole life. The alternative is to wear his yoke instead of a man-made yoke or a yoke of our own making. 
What a wonderful heart of affection he has in being meek and lowly. He gives us his omnipotent assistance and he is aware of what we can handle. What a burden bearer Jesus is. I was thinking back on work that I had had opportunity to do before I came here to North Carolina and even after I came to North Carolina. I grew up working on farms. And I worked for several different farmers, a number of different farmers, and there were common denominators, whether it was crop farming or livestock farming. And it was all hard. Okay, there's no, there's no, can I say, easy way to do certain aspects of farming. It takes sweat, it takes labor, it takes energy, physical exertion. A lot of times it's very messy, especially when it relates to hog farming. Okay. Now those hog farmers will tell you that's the smell of money. Okay, that's the stinkiest money I've ever smelled, okay. And you would just have it all over you after you had been inoculating or you had been culling out the litters, separating the litters from their mamas. That's talk about taking your life in your hands. Mamas aren't ready to separate from those little ones. And on and on it goes in the long days, if you would. I think about opportunities that I had here in North Carolina to work with contractors, several different contractors. And Man, some hard work when it came to doing everything from installing heat and air systems and crawl spaces and hot attics to helping install septic systems to building buildings, all kinds of difficult labor. And here's the thought. As I thought back on all that farming experience and as I thought back on all that building and contracting experience, I began to think that I had some really, really good memories about the farming and some not-so-good memories. And I had some really, really good memories about the contracting and some not-so-good memories. And as I thought about it, here's the conclusion I came to, and I want you to get this. The difference in the good and the bad memories in both lines of work in so many instances was directly correlated to the one with whom I was working. You ever met somebody that can take a really nasty, hard job and make it fun? Make it enjoyable? They understood the purpose of the work. Work for a while and say, okay, let's go take a break. and Go do this or go do that. Then we'll come back around. Or I'm telling you, who you're working with makes all the difference. And Jesus says, come to me. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And the outcome is rest for the soul. A number of years ago, a contest was opened up for painters to paint a picture, a portrait in this contest that embodied peace, that pictured peace. When the finalists all sent in their portraits, there was, of course, one of a pristine, freshly fallen, snowy landscape, and that was to picture peace. There was another that was a pastoral scene with the sun setting, and the artist had been able to capture a gentle breeze blowing the crops in the field. That was to picture peace. 
There was one, as I remember the story, that was of a mother holding a baby, and the baby was asleep in her arms, and the mother was lovingly looking down at the face of the child, and the sun was, the evening sun was coming in the window, and there was a beautiful little aura to the picture, and that was meant to embody or to picture peace. But everyone's surprise, the picture that won was a picture of a cliff face in a storm-blackened sky with clouds broiling as the artist was able to capture it and lightning flashing and the rain, sheets of rain pelting violently against the cliff. And yet the central focus of the picture was a little bird that had built a nest in the cleft of the rock and sat in calm because of where her nest was. Where's your nest? Where's my nest? Is my nest in financial stability? Is my nest in the current climate or hoping for a better climate here in the United States of America? Is my nest in the next election? Let's not be putting our nests in the grills of suburbans. Let's be going to the Lord Jesus Christ and building our nest, our anchor in Him. Our rest is in a person, not a place, not a thing. Our rest is in Jesus. Come unto me, and for 2,000 years He's been saying it, and people are coming. Let us keep coming. Father, thank you for your word today. Lord, I feel like I've just kind of talked through this passage with some observations, how you've been challenging me. Lord, I pray that you, I thank you that you can take feeble and do a great work with it. And I pray that you would take what we have heard this morning and use it mightily in each of our lives. Lord, if there's one here this morning that uh, they're putting their secure, they're not a believer in Jesus Christ, they've never trusted Him as Savior, not a born-again child of God, if they're, whatever they're putting their trust in, if it's anything but Christ, they're under condemnation already. And Lord, I pray that today they would make Christ their hope of eternal life through trust in Him. If somebody needs to be saved today, I pray that they would let us help them from the scriptures, learn how they can become a child of God. And Lord, for those of us who are here today as believers, whatever struggle or trial that we're in, I pray that we would recognize the importance of your being the great burden bearer and that we would make sure that we're in your yoke, that we're bearing the burdens you want us to bear and in the yoke that you want us in and that we're pursuing you so that we can find rest for our souls. And so, Lord, I pray that these thoughts would help to comfort, to strengthen, to stabilize our hearts as we conclude and go our way today. In Jesus' name, amen. Judd